God bless you, fam. Thank you so much for your giving. Thank you so much for allowing us to, to be able to do what it is that, that we need to do, what it is that the Lord has called us to. And may that seed be multiplied back into your life in so many ways that you can't even count it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, it's about that time again to get ourselves back into the Word. Um, I know that <laughs> this, in, this entire journey, this saga, I don't even want to call it a series, it's, it's just been so much more than that. And, and I believe with every fiber of my being that you have been strengthened, you have been equipped, you have had necessary bullets put in your gun, you done had your sword sharpened to where you should have such a strength that has been given to you as it pertains to your position in the kingdom of God. What this kingdom is, what it is that we are a part of, and the, the benefits and the power and the, the status in which we have been given and the responsibility and the authority that the Lord has given back to us by way of that finished work that he did on the cross and, and, and just the, the culmination of just sheer power and just you universal strength that was given from that act on the cross. So I pray that this has been something that has enlightened you, that has strengthened you, believing that today is going to be no different as we journey forth and continue on. Uh, remember last week we started a sub-series called Commonwealth and we were looking at the, 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 the dynamics of being a, a citizen because remember Commonwealth is reflective of the community that makes up a kingdom. It's also reflective of the resource side. We're still on the community side in the sense of the people that make up a kingdom, okay? So that's where we're at with this. We're still journeying forward. This is the second part of Commonwealth. Uh, last week, we hit on understanding how uh, because of what has been given to us and the reinstatement of the promise that came by way uh, of God through Adam, Adam lost it. It got reinstated to Abraham. That covenant was sealed, and then that took care of it, making it from Abraham all the way to Messiah and being solidified. And that's what was given over to all who would believe within him and believe upon his name that we now become the children of Abraham and the same faith that he operated in we're able to operate in and see heaven like results take place within the earth hence why the name of the series but also too within the model prayer that we pray that that, that the single prayer listen I'm going to tell you this everything that you pray has to find its context within on earth as it is in heaven Anytime I am praying something, I only got strength in the prayer because of the model one that we were given. See, I'm getting into another message. That's another message for another time. But it was so strong that it needed to be said right now. Every prayer you pray only finds its strength because of the model one that we were given. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So everything that ever parts my mouth as a prayer only finds its strength because of me being told that when you pray you do it like this whatever is happening uh, in heaven that is what you're calling for to happen in the earth on earth as it is in heaven so me uh, from this commonwealth perspective I need to know we talked about how we relate to ourselves the sense of now that I have been given another option that I don't have to answer the call of sin because of what made its way to me in the blessing from Abraham through Jesus now there's a blessing that rests on me because my righteousness comes from Christ so now I have another option where I don't have to answer the call of sin whenever it calls me now because the call of sin is going to continue to call me so long as I'm in the flesh suit. And so long as I'm in this body, there's going to be the temptations and the urge. I don't have to pick up that phone call. And I love what it said last week uh, in the text that we were reading in Romans where he said, Therefore, Paul told us that you have to view yourself as dead and unresponsive to sin. 
dead and unresponsive. So whenever sin tries to make the call, I view myself as dead and unresponsive to that. I don't, I don't answer that call anymore. I don't answer that call anymore. And because I don't answer that call anymore, I discipline my body. I discipline it to say, you now have a new master. And it is the Spirit of God. So that's what we talked about last week and the commonwealth and how we relate to ourselves because of what's been given to us. Now where we're going today is I'm calling it one to another. One to another. Commonwealth, part two, one to another. What we're talking about today is because of what has been given to me by way of the blessing and set me in authority as a kingdom citizen. How do I relate to you? How do you relate to me? How do we relate one to another because of this kingdom that we have been made a part of? So before we journey into the scriptures, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for this glorious time that we've been able to have in your presence. And now, God, as we are about to embark on this journey in the word, Thank you, God, for bringing strength. And thank you, Lord, for instructing us, teaching us, challenging us. Holy Spirit, we make room for you. You are the master teacher. You are the master communicator. You are the master coach. Teach us in this time to profit. Lead us in the way that we should go. May everyone walk away from this moment stronger than when it first began. Strength, more strength than when it first began. More energy, more intelligence, more security in what it is, I believe. More blessed assurance. That you are who you say you are. In Jesus' name, somebody shout amen with me. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Let's get ready to do a little bit of work here. I'm going to invite everybody to turn to uh, Ezekiel chapter 3. I'm not going to go there yet. I need to lay some groundwork. But I'm going to ask everybody to go ahead and turn to Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3. So as, so as I just stated, we are about to journey into how does God expect us to relate one to another? It's very important that I understand first off that I do need to have some sense of relationship with someone else. This journey in the kingdom is not one of solid, not one of solitude. Okay, it's not one of solitude. It's not one that is designed and built for me to be a loner and be by myself and have this theology that says that you do your thing, I'm gonna do my thing, and God's going to bless us both separately. That's not, that's not how God intended for it to be in the sense of, of uh, that being the only way. There is a sense of individual life. There is a sense of individuality within the kingdom. Case in point, my children can't get saved because I'm saved. My children cannot make it into the kingdom of heaven and go back to the homeland and plead the case that because my parents believed in you, then that was enough to get me grafted in. That only worked with one person. That's Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. So because of his work, I'm able to step into his as if it is mine, but no one can step into mine as if it's theirs. So in that sense, you do have the individual responsibility of making sure that you have embraced the righteousness of God uh, through Christ Jesus. However, there is a corporate sense in which you have to make sure that you are inclusive and bringing yourself into a body. Because Paul tells us uh, in, in uh, I'm, I'm losing where it's at. Help me, Holy Ghost. First Corinthians. Thank you, Lord. First Corinthians, he pleads the case with the Corinthians and, and, and alludes to a body, an actual physical body. He says that we are in the same way that a physical body is, is many individual members, but they make up one total package, one total thing. That's how we are within the body of Christ. Some of us have different responsibilities and different roles. Some of us are hands, some of us are eyes, some of us are the foot. But either way, we all come together and need each other in order for the total package to be able to be displayed. I'm saying in Bill 
revealed in this case in the intro because I need for those of us who are have been loners in our past life or untrusting of people or untrusting of different situations that require you to be around people. You cannot keep that as an excuse and expect for the kingdom to be full blown and fully displayed within your life. I'm sorry that different things happened to you to where it was at the you were at the mercy of somebody else and they treated you wrong, treated you falsely, but you cannot allow that to talk you out of the corporate blessing that comes from being a part of the body. There is a blessing that will only make its way to you because you are in the body. Because you're in the body. The blessing of blood flow only makes it to all of my body. If my finger decided to catch an attitude and jump off my hand, in jumping off my hand, he will miss out on the blessing of blood flow. Therefore, life will be taken from him. I need somebody to hear me that you need not disconnect from the body because in doing that, you are going to forfeit your life flow. You're going to forfeit life flow and then you're not going to be able to see the totality of the kingdom blessing break forth and come, come into your life. You have to be connected to the body. You've got to be connected to the body. Forsaken not the assembling together of ourselves as is in the habit of some and doing. We have to make sure that we stay connected. You stay joined. You keep your mouth open. You talk. You be vulnerable. You keep yourself open with what it is that's happening and what it is that's going on. When it comes to understanding, getting together and getting hooked up with people and making sure that we're understanding the same thing, especially when we are studying and talking through the scriptures, making sure that we have a sense of understanding and this this is something that we especially, I can speak of Western, in particular America, we have to make sure that we are extremely intentional with keeping those relationships open and keeping ourselves connected in that way. Because what we do is we treat church, we treat church as, as, our compart as a compartmentalization and we come in, we do our thing, we sit in our chair, we don't speak to nobody, we don't talk to nobody, we lift our hands and worship and we're the first one out the door so that we once again... Don't have to talk to anybody. And I'm telling you that for some of us, there's breakthrough that's long overdue in your life. But because you choose to avoid relationship and you choose to not talk with people and not engage with folk, there is, there is a breakthrough that is locked away from you because you won't get connected with someone who might have your supply. Every joint supplies. So if I'm lacking in supply, could it be that I might be lacking in a joint? I might be lacking in a joint that I need. I might be lacking in a relationship that I need. I might be lacking in being able to just humble myself and be open and vulnerable and connecting in the place that I need to connect to. It's important that we stay connected to the body. It's important that we stay connected to the body. Because in, in, in us staying connected to the body, what you're going to see is that there is this beautiful tapestry in which God builds that has a beautiful sense of diversity to it. Now, this is what it does not have, class. Let me explain what I mean. In earthly kingdoms, there is what is called a class system. You have royalty, you have commoners. Royalty, com so in, in earthly systems, this is why earthly systems don't work. This is, this is why we're calling forth for the kingdom to come forth. Because in an earthly system, in an earthly kingdom, it is based off of a class system that puts one up high and another down low. Based off of something that they could not help as to how it is that they got there. Most of the time in, in, uh, in, in older times... And in biblical times, it was based off of where it is you were born. Now, no one can determine where it is that they're born. No one can determine who their mother and father is. But because, but because of those systems and the weakness of a system like that, it would say that because you're born in the castle, that you must be royalty. And if you're born in, in the pauper and born in the inn, hello, Jesus, if you're born in the inn, if you're born in a place that's not palatial, if you're born in a place that's not attractive, then there's 
something about you that is not attractive and there's something about you that you don't carry enough to be able to, to make it in a high place. But thanks be unto God that in the kingdom of God, all sense of class is gotten rid of to where now there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female for we all have become one inside of the body of Christ. Elimination of class. Elimination of class so much so that our Savior comes from the height of royalty. King of heaven. Subjects himself to humanity in the earth. Wraps himself in swaddling clothes. Before that stepped into the dressing room of Mary's womb. And wraps himself in flesh. And makes himself subject to what he created. And comes out in manual. God with us. Subjects himself to human life. All the way to the age of 33. Giving us the template. And being the lamb of God for us. Taking away the sin of the world. So that my sin could be erased. I step in to royalty. With no class attached to it. What does that mean? We all hold equal value in the kingdom. Don't you let nobody at any time in your life, I don't care what season you're in, what season you just got out of, you never let somebody determine your value. The only one who has right to determine value is the one who created it and the one who made it. Now, if they didn't make you, they have no right to talk about value. If they didn't create you, they have no right to talk about value. But if they made and created you, they have the right to deem upon you the value that you have. Have. And last time I checked Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. That is it's of extremes. You that you're old is of extremes. The value that you hold is of extremes. And this is why it is so important that we recognize that within the kingdom there is no class, there is diversity. God never meant for all of us to be identical. He was not going after that. What he's going after is the beautiful tapestry of diversity, which means that although someone might not look like me, that doesn't mean they do not hold the same value. That doesn't mean that they don't hold the same value. Because the weakness of class systems is that it taps into the sin nature. How? How is that? It taps into the sin nature because it's going to go within me and trigger that propensity in my flesh that wants to be greater and higher than somebody else. That's the weakness of the class system. And that's why in the kingdom of God, there is no class system. Everyone that comes into it is royalty. Everyone that comes into it has a sense of authority. Everyone that comes into it has a sense of worth and value and something that they bring to the table. Everybody that comes into it has a reason to be there. And we have need of you to be there. We have need of you to display your gift. We have need of you to learn the scriptures. We have need of you to gain a sense of intelligence of who it is that you are in the kingdom because the world has to be displayed to the power of God flowing through you. There's no class. There is no class system within the kingdom. Classes are a social construct that can be exploited to give others advantage and take it away from others. It's weak. It's a weak system. And that's why when we're coming out, out of the world system, when, we're, when, we're, when we are being uh, 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 inundated with, with, the, with the kingdom of God and with the kingdom of God understanding, we, ha we have to repent. I hope you see how all these weeks are tying together. There are a lot of words that for all 19 weeks, this is part 19, all 19 weeks we've been talking about the same things and the same concepts and the same understandings to drive it home this is another reason why it is so vitally important that I repent in the sense of changing the way that I think my old system told me I had to be in competition with you but now the kingdom of God has told me that I am to 
complement you and I am to come alongside of you you come alongside of me and the joint supply being able to connect us you've got to repent and return back to the top returning back to the way that we were designed to think and structure Adam did not compete with anybody in the garden there was no need of competition. When he woke up and he saw Eve, he did not get a sense of starting feeling himself and feeling like he's got to compete with her. There was a complementation that was there that she's got what I don't have, I got what she don't have, and us together coming together to display the total package of the kingdom. What you've got, you have got to bring it forth out of you and into the earth so that it's able to complement and all together the kingdom kingdom is able to be displayed God I am a wee bit excited about this one this is how we relate one to another one to another if I go in church and I'm feeling uh, uh, if I'm feeling insecure about myself and feeling like I can't display who it is that I really am, I'm not getting the right thing I'm supposed to get from the house of God. In the house of God, there is supposed to be a space that is made for whatever kind of gift makes its way into it so that there's a total package and a garden of Eden-like experience that is able to be had based off of the presence of God being there and eliminating the class. You hold value. No, you're not hearing me. You hold value. You've got something that's within you. And us getting, getting it proper and getting it correct as to how we relate one to another will actually bring to life what God has placed in you. Bring it to life so that it is able to be displayed. That was just the intro. I didn't mean to spend that much time there. Mm. You still at Ezekiel 3, right? Ezekiel 3. I know I got loud there, but I, I, I need us to, to understand those principles that I was just talking about. Because what you can't do is make the kingdom a fad or make it uh, a style issue. or Make it whatever it is that we make it in church. And then it lose the power of what it was really designed to do. Losing the power of what it was really designed. You know, you know, if if I don't get how I relate to you right, John, the apostle John told me that I don't even have the kingdom. I'll prove it to you. How can I say that I love God? How can I say I love God? Who my eyes have never seen. But I hate the one that's next to me. You, 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 you bring in, you bring in bitter and sweet water out of the same fountain. For me to have hate or to have some kind of, some kind of uh, for how they look or don't look, how they dress or don't dress, how they sing or don't sing, how they eat or don't eat. If I look at something external like that and I come to a conclusion in my heart about them, but then turn around at the same time and on Sunday lift my hands before God and put up this front, I don't have the kingdom. You got something, but you don't have the kingdom. Yeah, I said it. I'm going to preach this thing and preach all kinds of truth today. We have got to confront this racist-like spirit and this spirit that is within us that tries to draw a line to say that I am better or they are less. All class has been eliminated and God is calling his church, calling his body, calling his people to rise up and one to another love and display his kingdom. If I hate the brother next to me, if I hate the sister next to me, 
If I got something going on internally in me, but part from my lips that I love God, I am confused. And I need the Spirit of God to examine me and bring a correction. I'm not bashing nobody. But allow the Holy Spirit through this word to wake us up. To wake us up to the understanding that we are stronger together than we are apart. Let's go. Let's go. Get me out of here, Tristan. Ezekiel 3. <laughs> you don't throw that scripture up. If you don't throw that scripture up, I ain't, I'm going to come back to it. All right. Look. Context. Ezekiel has, has gotten. Ezekiel has gotten. Uh, a vision from the Lord. He, he has, he's been given instructions to where he has to go before the children of Israel and deliver a message. And he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to do it. And we're going to see it as we read these scriptures. But there's something in particular that he does before he starts to talk that is very, very powerful. And that is something that we can gain a, a strong principle from. Uh, starting at verse 12. Then the Spirit lifted me up. This is Ezekiel talking. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels beside them, and a great thunderous noise 14 so the spirit lifted me up and took me away and I went in bitterness this is him not wanting to go I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me 15 this is where I want us to get then I came to the captives at Tel Aviv who dwelt by the river Chabar, and I sat where they sat. Mm. I sat where they sat and remained there, astonished among them seven days. Stay right there, Tristan. Stay right there. I sat where they sat. Before I talked about them, before I gave my opinion of how I figured they got in their situation, what they should have done different, what they should have been doing better, before I came to those conclusions, before Ezekiel comes to those kinds of conclusions, I, and, and right here too, I just want to note that it doesn't say that God told him to sit where they sat. He, in his humanity, recognizing that there's a similarity that I hold with these people that I don't necessarily want to be around. So, by the hand of God being strong upon him, he comes to where they are, and he sits where they are. I sat where they sat. There's a quote by, uh, by Bill Johnson from Bethel Church. He, I was listening to him say, uh, uh, in a message one time. He said, when you wash somebody's feet, you find out why they walk the way they do. When you wash somebody's feet, you find out why they walk the way they do. When I humble myself in the presence of somebody else and I approach them in an empathetic-like passion, in an empathetic way, then I'm able to get a, <clears throat> get a view into their life as to why they walk the way they do. So, so me sitting where they sit, because if I am standing and talking to somebody who's sitting, there is a different view that we hold. My view is higher. One seated sees. Hear me, family. The one who is seated has a certain view and certain limitations 
to their view because of their posture. Not necessarily because they don't want to want to see other things. Not necessarily because there's not other things around them and they're not trying to see. It's just because of their posture. So for me to be somebody that's standing and able to be free, if I can take my freedom that has caused me to stand in this season and sit in another season and sit next to a brother or sister that is that is made in the same image and same likeness of God as I am when I sit next to them there's another view that I'm able to get and Ezekiel sat where they sat remained there astonished because the astonishment was he started to learn things that he couldn't learn if he didn't take a seat where has God called me to sit who has God called me to sit with because in me taking the seat, there's something that I'm going to learn and discover about my brother and sister that I did not know beforehand. Which me also taking the seat will help them see that, that, that what they thought was different about me might not be as different from them. That we actually have similar stories. That we've actually got similar things that God has walked us through. And we've got similar things that God might have brought me out of. And if he can get the full picture and full scope of my story and how God brought me through. When I take a seat and tell that story, it will enlighten him. It will encourage him to know that if God did it for one. God would do it for another. But I got to take the seat. I have to sit where they sit. And in us, relating one to another, we got to learn to sit with each other. I got to sit with you. If, if we are going to be the full display and full recognition of the commonwealth, the commonwealth. Remember, wealth is also locked within the community. You, you being an individual made in the image and likeness of God, you have a sense of wealth that has been placed inside of you because of the image that you have been made in. And that kind of wealth of being an image bearer is common within our kingdom because all of us come in as royal so that common wealth has to be gained a hold of and we have to rightly appropriate it and in order to do so I got to sit with you I got to sit with you so so all my preconceived notions can be can be done away with so all my things I thought that I was right about can be done away with I got to sit where they sat sit where they sat let's go to uh Got two, got two uh, stories that we're going to look at now. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I have been hearing a lot of messages surrounding this particular text. But we're going to look at it and see what the Lord uh, brings out. Luke chapter 10 starting at verse 25. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, but there are a few things that we want to see because I just brought up that point of the uh, brought up that point of the of the empathetic like nature in which God has called us to be in. We must have that sense of empathy, which is understanding that empathy is the willingness to enter into the pain of another, even when it is an experience that I don't fully understand. Okay, me being empathetic, me learning to sit where someone is sitting is me being willing to step into the experience of them, being able to step into the experience, although I might not have a full understanding of what it is that they've gone through. So let's, uh, let's take a look at it, starting at verse 25, we're going to read to uh, verse, read to verse 37. So here we go. Just then a religious scholar stood before Jesus in order to test his doctrines. He posed this question. Teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? 26, Jesus replied, what does Moses teach us? What do you read in the law? The religious scholar answered, it states... 
You must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy, and your every thought. And you must love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. So to the same degree that you love yourself, you love your neighbor with that same passion. 28, Jesus said, that's correct. Now go and do exactly that, and you live. Wanting to justify himself, this lawyer questioned Jesus further, saying, what do you mean by my neighbor? Next verse. Jesus replied, listen, and I will tell you. There was once a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when bandits robbed him along the way. They beat him severely, stripped him naked, left him half on the wounded man. All right, Jewish priest, let's see him. Seeing this man from a distance, the priest crossed over to the other side of the road, walked right past him, not turning to help him one bit. Later, a religious man, a Levite, came walking down the same road and likewise crossed to the other side to pass by the wounded man without, <clears throat> without stopping to help him. Finally, another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. He stooped down and gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine, and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. He then took from his donkey and carried him to a room for the night. 35. The next morning, he took his own money from his wallet and gave it to the innkeeper with these words. Take care of him until I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I will repay you when I return. 36. So now tell me, which one of the three men who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbor? This is Jesus questioning the, uh, the lawyer after it was done. The religious scholar responded, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. Jesus said, you must go and do the same as he. You must go and do the same as he. So there's two sides of this Samaritan that, that we see. That's important for us to be able to uh, recognize what it is that we should be doing to really relate one to another very well. Give me uh, verse 33, Tristan, please. Verse 33. This is where I want to bring out once again that, 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 em that empathy. That empathy that we have to move with. Because it says, finally, another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. Move with tender compassion for him. There has to be a sense of compassion that I have for someone that is around me if I'm really going to be able to engage with them and pull forth that common wealth that's out of them. I can't come before them trying to prove that I'm right. And see, that's, that's the, that is just such the danger of this, of Every election year, honestly, every election year that we find ourselves in, we find this viper-like spirit that loves to come within people and sadly within the body of Christ to where we attack each other. And we just go in so hard on each other based on opinions, not recognizing that when we do something like that, there is a seduction that is happening internally within us to where we are more absolved with proving ourselves right than we are truly walking in a love that would bring forth a tender compassion out of me to be moved for someone with tender compassion. So we see that empathy side with him. Uh, within, within this, within verse 33, which is that willingness to enter the pain of another even when that experience is not something that I fully understand. I don't have to, I don't have, to have a full understanding for me to love somebody. For me to really flow out of that love that Jesus Christ has called for me to have that he first had for me. That's the one that I'm supposed to be able to have with that. 
The second thing I want to bring out to is because we, we moved, we had empathy. But to be empathetic without, without having action attached to it, that's weak. For me to just have this empathetic like feeling inside and feeling for someone and feeling bad and feeling sorry, but not it not invoking me to move on behalf of someone, that is, that is an incomplete uh, uh, posture for me to have. So we've got empathy. We see that in verse 33. And now we're going to move into looking at the advocacy that he had. To be an advocate for this man. To not just leave him on the side of the road. I'm, we're going to look at three different things that we see this Samaritan uh, leverage that he had. So he's going to leverage it on behalf of the man who was on the side of the road. Let's roll. Give me, uh, give me verse 34, Tristan. If this is good to you, somebody type amen. Somebody type amen for me. Verse 34, there we go. First thing we're going to look at is the skill that he had. His skill and his ability. His skill and his ability. Verse 34, he stooped down and gave this man first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine. And bandaging them up to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey, brought him to the inn. He did, then he took him from his donkey, carried him into the room for on the wound, disinfecting him. If this man is able to pour olive oil on the wound, disinfecting him from the wine, bandaging him up and stop the bleeding, there is a skill and an ability that he holds to be able to administer first aid. That was a skill that he had. That was a skill that he had. That he, that he leveraged on behalf of this man that he did not know. Because the context of this is the fact that Jesus brought up it, that it was a Samaritan that was helping out a Jewish man. Jews and Samaritans in that day did not get along at all. So them not getting along at all put, put uh, this story in a light that says that just because somebody might be different from you, just because somebody might not look like you, just because somebody might not believe as you believe or, or conduct their life in the way that you would, doesn't mean that you draw a conclusion on them that causes you to push away from them. This Samaritan used and leveraged the skill of being able to apply first aid and being able to help this man get to where it is that he needed to be. Now, the next thing that we're going to see him use is his resources. His resources, which, we find, which we'll find in, within this verse as well. So lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey, brought him to an end. He then took him from his donkey and carried him into a room for the night. Give me 35, please. Verse 35. The next morning, he took his own money from his wallet, gave it to the innkeeper, with these words, stop right there. He gave, so, so we've seen the skill and ability and we've seen the resources being able to be used. And I've got to make sure that we understand that when it comes to engaging each other in a commonwealth-like sense, God requires of us that any skill and ability that we have and any resources that we have, that we leverage them on behalf of our brothers and sisters and we leverage them on behalf of those who might not subscribe to our beliefs at all because this man is a Samaritan who is helping a Jewish man so we've got the skill and ability we've got the resources and the last thing we're going to see is the influence aspect so we've seen the skill and ability we've seen the resources and we've seen the influence give yeah, this verse right here is actually that. So the next morning he took his own money from his wallet, gave it to the innkeeper with these words. Here's the influence. Take care of him until I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I will repay you when I return. There is, there is nowhere in this text to where we have been given uh, uh, light into this Samaritan having relationship with the innkeeper. 
We don't know that. So, so for all intents and purposes for us, this is their first time meeting. And in their first time meeting, obviously this Samaritan has enough influence to be able for, for this innkeeper to take those words and to actually do what it is that the Samaritan is asking. And the Samaritan is asking on behalf of the man who is down, on behalf of the Jew, take care of this man. I have brought him here. I have paid for his room for now, but I need you to let him stay here until he gets well. And if he, if he stays here beyond what it is that I have put up front for you as far as money when I get back from this journey I will take care of that look at the influence aspect that he is able to use so he's used his skill and his ability in applying first aid he paid for everything with his resources and uses his influence to say to the innkeeper keep this man around until he has been built up and if whatever it is that it costs I will take care of it and we have a we got a blueprint right here as to how we are to engage one to another any kind of skill that I have whatever resources I am exposed to and whatever influence I might have in the name of helping someone reach their God-given destiny and God-given purpose I don't need to hold this stuff as if me using it will be at my expense a lot of times we will backtrack from helping someone because I feel like helping them elevate is de-elevating me and that's not how it works in the kingdom Within the kingdom, I have been called to be open and to give, to, to, to do it being guided by the Spirit of God, but to be open and available to where whenever my skill is needed, whenever my resources are needed, whenever my influence is needed, I am able to leverage that in the name of helping someone. And remember, once again, I'll mention the context of this is understanding that we are talking about someone who is different because this is a Samaritan. Helping a man who is a Jew. So whether they be different, and now we're about to look at helping those who are, who are of the faith. In either situation, because I am a part of the kingdom, I have been called to leverage what God has given to me and lead the charge as to what it is to aid someone, as to what it is to help somebody, as to what it is to be the blessing, being blessed to be the blessing. Let's roll. Uh, Galatians chapter 6. This is, this is my last set of scriptures here. So we just looked at the context of what it looks like. Helping someone who's not like me. Galatians 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. So now we're looking at what it looks like helping someone who is like me. Let's roll. <coughs> Galatians 6, starting in verse 1, my beloved friends, here we go, if you see a believer who is overtaken with a fault, may the, if I see a believer who's overtaken with a fault, may the one who overflows with the spirit seek to restore him, not beat him down, not tell him he ain't doing it right. Not feel some sense of victory for myself because I haven't screwed up. I have to, if I'm overflowing with the Spirit, seek to restore him. Win him over with gentle words which will open his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over him. There it is right there. Whenever God gives me opportunity to be in someone's corner when they have fallen, I am there to win them back to what it is that they got started with and win them back to the understanding that God has not forgotten them. God has not cast them down. God has not cast them away. There is still a plan and purpose and call that they have. And I do it, I do it so that their heart becomes open. And when their heart becomes open, open them being able to receive what's being said keeps me in the humble position as if I cannot be caught in the same way you see how practical this is this is extremely practical for us so so you which will open his heart to you you keep you from exalting yourself over him let's go verse two love empowers us to fulfill the law 
of the anointed one as we carry each other's troubles. This, this verse also, I should have put it up there in the New King James, is, is the verse that says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So notice, give me, give me verse 2 again. Give me verse 2. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's troubles. So as we carry each other's troubles or as we bear each other's burdens, I am by way of love because I can only do something like that by love, by actually having love that really flows in me for me to get empathetic and get involved in, in somebody's trouble and in somebody's hardship. So love empowers me to be able to be a burden bearer. Okay, so whenever somebody's going through or somebody has an issue, somebody has a problem, me being able to come alongside of them and be able to, e to equal out the weight of what it is that they are carrying by me being able to come and be an aid to them. When I do that, the scriptures say that I am fulfilling what is called the law of Christ. Now, what this is not saying is that I am fulfilling the law of Jesus. This is, this is what we need to think about because every time we see the word Christ, it is not necessarily talking about the physical man, Jesus of Nazareth, who walked the earth for 33 years. Because we got to remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ speaks toward who he was. It's actually more accurate to call him Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one, because the word Christ means anointing, anointed one, the anointed one and his anointing. And we got to remember that Jesus, the physical man, Jesus is no longer within the earth, but Christ is still in the earth. Hence why we are called the body, not of Jesus. We're not called the body of Jesus. We're called the body of Christ. We are the body of the anointing that is still here within the earth. So at one point, that Christ rested on the physical man, Jesus, in totality. But that physical man left is now in heaven, seated at the right hand of God. But Christ is still in the earth. That's why it rests on you. It rests on me. It rests on all of us. And we are the body of Christ. Now, when I carry somebody's burdens in the name of love and equal out that weight I am fulfilling the law of what it is of being anointed the law of anointing the law of the anointed one you see that it is the law of the anointed what am I trying to get at there is a law there is a code by which those of us who are anointed have to walk out you don't get anointing just because you pray for more of it you don't get anointing just because you pray for two and three hours. You don't get anointing just because you have certain spiritual calisthenics that you do. You get anointing whenever you are obeying and flowing in the law that carries it. And a part of the law that carries it is being a burden bearer. I cannot avoid the problems and the plights of humanity and try to maintain anointing. Because right here as it's saying, love empowers you to fulfill the law of the anointed one, the law of the anointing, when I carry somebody else's troubles. Showing that when, I, when I'm empathetic and when I really want to be involved and I really care about what it is that somebody's going through, there is an anointing that flows on you and there's anointing that comes upon you to be able to carry that out in the way that it needs to be carried. Gosh, that's good. Let's, let's go. Verse 3. Verse 3. Love this right here. If you think you are too important to stoop down and help another. Leave me spend time on that. It is what it is with that. Let everyone be devoted to fulfill the work God has given them to do with excellence. And their joy will be in doing what's right and being themselves and not in being affirmed by others. Verse 5, every believer is ultimately responsible for his or her own conscience. Let's keep going. 6, and those who are taught the word must share all good things with their teacher. A sharing of wealth takes place between them. 
7. Make no mistake about it. God will never be mocked. For what you plant will always be the very thing you harvest. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. Hold up. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. If you plant the corrupt seeds of self-life into this natural realm, you can expect to experience a harvest of corruption. If you plant the good seeds of spirit life, you will reap the beautiful fruits that grow from the everlasting life of the spirit. Verse 9. And don't allow yourselves to be weary or disheartened in planting good seeds. For the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you've planted is coming. God. Right here. Take advantage of every opportunity to be a blessing to others. Especially to our brothers and sisters in the family of faith. In the family of faith. So, so the, these verses we were read in the Passion Translation, so, so you might not have been used to what it is that we were saying. Go back to verse 6, Tristan, please. Verse 6. Those are, give me verse 7. I said it wrong. Yes, right here. Make no mistake about it. God will never be mocked. What you plant will always be the very thing that you harvest. You, you reap what you sow. Classic kingdom principle so long as there's seed time and harvest within the earth you can always expect that whatever you put down that very thing that you put down that very thing that you plant that very thing that you put in the soil is exactly what it is that's going to come up proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 guard your heart with all diligence because out of it springs forth the issues of life so your soil your heart is the soil of your soul and whatever kind of seed gets planted in there whatever it is that you place in there you can expect that very thing to come forth and to break forth out of your life Whatever you plant will always be the very thing that you harvest. Give me verse 8. So we got that. So you're going to reap. You're going to reap what you sow. All right. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. Plant those corrupt seeds. You're going to experience that harvest of corruption. You plant those good seeds. You're going to experience the everlasting life of the spirit. Verse 9. So keep, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. I reap what I sow. So now, this is encouragement. Don't allow myself to be weary or disheartened when I plant good seeds. Why would I be weary or disheartened in planting good seeds? Because of the time factor between me planting and then me receiving what it is that I know that I planted. See that? So, so don't get disheartened in planting those good seeds for the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you've planted is coming. Now, so all of that, verse 7, 8, and 9, tied in of saying that you're going to reap what you sow, make sure that you're sowing the right thing, and then you sowing the right thing and you, and you feel like you're not getting harvest, don't allow that to weary you out. So because of all of that, verse 10, give me verse 10. Now, take advantage of every opportunity to be a blessing to others. Or in other words, to be the one that's sowing into others. Why? Because the promise of what happens to those that sow good seed is locked in. It's going to happen. It's something that is absolutely for sure. So because of that, I don't have to be so timid and tiptoeing around people because I am not responsible for bringing forth my harvest. God is. God is responsible for making sure that the harvest comes forward. All I got to do is make sure that I take advantage of every opportunity that comes before me. Take advantage of every opportunity to be a blessing to others, especially to our brothers and sisters within the faith. Give me the other one. I think I put it up there in the New King James. Yes. Therefore, I love that. I love that word. Therefore. 
So because of everything that he had laid out in verse 7, 8, and 9 in saying that you're going to reap what you sow, make sure you're sowing the right thing, and even when you sow the right thing, make sure that you don't let yourself get disheartened as if you're not going to get it. All of that being true, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I have a responsibility that someone that's a part of the kingdom have the same king as I do, has the same father as I do. We've got the same blood lineage come escalated us into the seat of righteousness by way of Christ Jesus, our king and our elder brother. I've got to make sure that I, that I take my skill, that I take my resources, that I take my influence. And I take care of my brothers and sisters that are within the body. Because in me doing this, this shows that I have an understanding that the wealth that is within us is common. I'm finished, Ryan. You, you, can, you can play. I'm ending here. The wealth that is within us is common. And what it is that, 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 we are, that I feel being combated with, with this is that, that spirit and attitude of just coming to church just logging on for you. For you. Me just doing it so I can get my word. Me just doing it so I can get my breakthrough and get through my week. Some of you the entire time of this pandemic, you ain't checked on not one person. Not one. You have called no one. You have extended the hand of aid to nobody. You have thought about nobody but yourself. Yet at the same time, you claim the kingdom. Yeah, I went there. Don't, don't turn this off. Because if I am a part of the commonwealth, I have a responsibility, responsibility to take my skill, take my resources, take my influence, be a burden-bearing believer to the degree that I can. Now, God's not asking you to do what is not within your capacity to do, but you cannot convince me that doing nothing is your only option because everybody everybody has something that they can leverage we all have something and this is what tells the story and what gives the beautiful presentation to those who don't subscribe to our belief as to what it actually is this is what tells a story better than a track, better than me talking and witnessing. I must display through my action of coming and loving someone no matter where it is that they are. Because that's the love that has enlightened me and gave me a second chance and saw me through when I didn't think I was worth being seen through. You've got skill. You've got resource. You've got the influence. And we as kingdom people, we must rise to the occasion and lead the charge in what it is to really be anointed and what it is to really bear burdens with our brothers and sisters in the faith and those who are not subscribed to our faith. Because in them not being subscribed to our faith and see real life action of the faith makes them more open to it. You've been called by way of the blessing that rests on your life to whom much is given, much is required. The blessing that rests on you should compel you to make sure 
that you're exposing that commonwealth that's within all of us as believers. One to another, as we relate correctly, we will see his kingdom come. We will see that will being done. And exactly how it is happening in heaven, we will taste and experience right here in the earth. Come on, put your hands together. Celebrate the Lord. Celebrate the Lord for his word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this word, Father. I declare your blessing over your people. Thank you, Lord, that your face will be turned toward them. Bless them and keep them. Cause your face to shine upon them. Establish them and give them peace, God. And help us find those opportunities that we can take full advantage of to do good to all, to be a blessing to those that are around us, especially to those who are of the household of faith, our brothers and sisters and you in Christ, and those who might not subscribe to the belief. Let us find the wealth that is locked inside of them because maybe they need to be reminded that there's something great that's inside of them. There's something great to which you have called them to. Let us be a part of the solution that brings that to life into their eye. Bring that twinkle back into their eyes. Bring that renewed hope back into their heart. That what they see today is not the sum total of their life. Amen. Amen. God, the solution, God, wherever we are placed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for logging on with us and joining in with this worship service. We will see you again next week. Love you.